Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on John, Believe. Let me draw your attention to a thought process that I think is very critical as we study scripture. All right, the Bible is written from a Hebrew mindset. We would call it Middle Eastern mindset. It's way different, much different than the the Western American mindset in which we find ourselves living. A Hebrew mindset was established on truth and was established on man has fundamental purpose for being on the planet. Western mindset has been influenced greatly over the years by the Greek philosophical thought process Greeks are all about philosophy and want to look at what is the meaning of life. Hebrews would say, no, you look at the purpose of life. The Greek mindset has created a consumerism, an individualistic style mindset amongst its people. The Greeks love knowledge. They love the cognitive. They love information. Again, if you go back and study the Hebrew mindset that the scripture is written from, It's all about heart. It's all about the theology of God, not the philosophy of man. And it's about discipline. It's about repetitiveness. It's about embracing who God is at the core of Scripture. It's very fundamental when you start to study Scripture. And as we find ourselves in John chapter 7, there's so much Hebrew imagery being offered in John chapter 7. Now, I I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to consider a basic necessity that we have like water, just water. In Hebrew thought, from the imagery standpoint, okay, water is a symbol of life. Water sustains. Water is represented uh, throughout the pages of Scripture as cleansing, purification. It's represented as salvation. And then ultimately, Jesus talks of water as being the presence and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Water is just basic. And you go back and study uh, the life of the Jews and the Israelites. It was a fundamental, essential commodity even for them to be able to survive. The Jews lived in dry desert lands. And so when you think about the Hebrew mindset and the Jewish mindset, the Jews thought this, if you want to hear from God, go to the desert, because there you'll be forced to depend on God and not trust yourself. Very interesting mindset. Now, back to water. If you pick up the Bible, there's 722 references to water in Scripture. The first we find is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the deep of the waters. Earth was void, whatever, but God's Spirit was hovering over waters. Then you get to Revelation chapter 21, verse 17, and it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, anyone who is thirsty, and let him drink. Let him come and drink freely from the water of life. So throughout the pages of Scripture, It is replete with references about water. One of my favorites I memorized years ago uh, is Psalm chapter 1, where it says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, 
And, and, and in his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Scripture is replete with water references. 75% of the earth is covered with water. 70% of the human body is made up of water. 85% of the human brain is water. Water is essential to life. And in Hebrew thought, the strong imagery that is represented with water will blow your mind if you will just study water from a biblical standpoint. It's, it's absolutely amazing. A person can go a month without food. A person will die after about a week without water. You've got to have water. And over three and a half million people die each year because of bad water, because of bacteria, because of parasites. I've been on a lot of mission trips. We just brought a guy on staff. You'll be introduced to him later today, uh, Ronnie. And Ronnie has spent so much time doing missional work. And I can tell you there's many parts of the world where you go, they're like, do not drink the water. 4,000 children die each day because of bad water and bad sanitation. It's absolutely terrible. Water, just a basic necessity from Hebrew mindset and Hebrew thinking is so important. 1.8 billion people die every year. Most of them are children from bad water and diarrhea issues. Is that, is that not staggering to you? Diarrhea caused by bad, parasitic, bacterial-infected water is the number two child killer globally. Children. While we're in church today, over 50 kids in this 75 to 80-minute window globally will die because of the polluted, bad water they drink. 650 million people right now on this planet do not have access to clean, safe water. And it's something from a Western mindset that we take for granted every day. We can turn on a faucet, we brush our teeth, we go to the bathroom, we flush, we take showers, we've got water to drink. There's such a surplus around us. But even from a global perspective, and the scripture again written from a Western mindset of imagery, so many people in this world have no water. They realize that drinking water is a dangerous thing. It can lead to sickness. It can lead to major illness. It can kill you. But they have no options. And we do. We live in a spoiled society. And just think for a second. Can you imagine just going a day? Or can you imagine going an hour? Can you really imagine going one minute without clean, safe water? Walk the aisles of your favorite grocery today and find the shelving that's got water. Dasani, Aquafina, Deer Park, you name it. In 2017 alone, the water industry in the United States generated $18.5 billion. Not only do we have clean water, we've got a surplus of water. The key verse in John chapter 7 is verse 37, and we're going to get to that here in a bit, but it was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus stands and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me 
and drink. John chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus was in Galilee. He didn't want to make his way down to Judea yet into Jerusalem because the people there were looking for reasons just to arrest him and go ahead and kill him. Verse 2 says, it was near the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's very important. What Jesus does, where he does it at, and the timing he makes his statement is absolutely crucial. I believe it's essential for us today to have a backdrop of understanding what was going on at Tabernacles. You pick up the text in verse 3. It says his brothers were saying to him, why don't you leave and go on back down to Jerusalem to the feast? Let your disciples get a good look at you. No one who intends to be publicly known and have such a... Uh, a known ministry is going to do things in secret. If you're serious about what you're doing, go ahead and bring it out in the open. Verse 5 says, his brothers didn't believe in him either. Sarcasm, harassment, resentment. Now, Jesus was fully God, but Jesus was fully man. And I draw your attention to this thought. It is hard when you have family members. These were his half-brothers. Jesus was Conceived by Mary, before Mary and Joe were officially married, they were betrothed. But Mary and Joe had other kids, other boys. And his half-brothers were ridiculing him, sarcastically harassing him. And I can tell you this, when you stand for the cause of Christ and other family members are not, it can be hard at times when family members resent you and reject you. Jesus eventually makes his way on down to Jerusalem to the feast. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles celebrated two major elements, if you will. It was a time to remember what God had done, and it was a time to renew and refresh, if you will. So when the people got together, it was an incredible celebration. The Jews, it was mandatory uh, uh, for the Jew to celebrate three different feasts. There are seven feasts that Israel celebrated, but they celebrated mandatory, it was three. They had to celebrate Passover to remember when the blood was put on the post and the death angel would pass over. They're like, we're remembering God that you spared us. They would celebrate first fruits. First fruits was always about three or four days right after Passover. And that was the first harvest of the year of when they would bring their grapes or whatever before, before the Lord. And they would bring the first fruits, the best of, the top 10% of it, and lay it before the Lord, and then they would celebrate tabernacles. Sukkot is the uh, word you'll see there for this feast. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles would last seven days, and it was a time where all the people throughout Israel would kind of make their way into Jerusalem, and it was a huge celebratory time. Out of the three feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles was it. It was where the party and celebration would take place. And what would happen in, in uh, Jerusalem around the area there is the people would vacate for a week. They would leave their homes and they would build these little tents, these little huts for a seven-day period of time. And they would stay in these huts, and it was a day to vacate from work, from everything else, to focus on the worship of God. And what they would do is they would remember God's provision for them. And they would stay there, and they would remember, God, you provided for us in the past. 
you provided water for us. Even when we were griping and even when we were complaining and even when we were wandering in the desert and we're camping out in these tents and just like the nation of Israel did when they were seeking to be set free from Egypt, God, you provided. Yes, Numbers chapter 20, Moses takes the staff, hits the rock and says, hey, you rebels, y'all not trust God really? Do you not believe God? Do you not believe God's going to provide for you? And During this feast, for seven days, they would remember, God, you provided, even when we were faithless, even when we griped, even when we complained, even when we said, it would have been better for us to die in the wilderness, you were faithful, you were good, you kept providing for us. Now, John 8 still kind of factors into the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, There were two major things here that they celebrated. They, They would, every day, they would have a ceremony of water And then every evening they would have a ceremony of light. And there at the ceremony of light, they would remember the pillar of fire that God led his people with, providing illumination, and then the cloud during the day, and they would say, you have been good. Remember in John 8 is where Jesus is going to stand and say, I am the light of the world. Still in John chapter 7. So God, we remember your faithfulness. We remember you provide. Let Let me pause. Listen to me. One of the things that Western Greek-influenced people oftentimes do a terrible job of is remembering. Remembering. And I believe, even in the course of this conversation and as we move into prayer and communion later, I want to invite you to remember. Remember where God rescued you from. Remember when you were in darkness. Remember when you were guzzling like a guppy. Remember when you were addicted to porn. Remember when you were living a life way, way wayward from God and you were just drifting. Remember the kindness of the Savior. Remember salvation coming to you. Remember him starting to grow you and rescue you. Remember God's provision. Tim, remember when you were praying that you didn't want to stay single all your life. Remember God's provision with a godly woman in Barb. Remember as you started praying, Tim, that God would bless you with a family. And there comes Rachel and Benji and Jesse and Hannah and Caleb. Tim, don't forget I provided for you. I've shut down other wombs, but I allowed you and Barb to be parents. Remember, Tim, my goodness. Remember my faithfulness. Remember, Tim, I'm the one that rescued you. I'm the one that helped you overcome the mind monsters of speaking in public. I'm the one that's led you over the years. I invite you to remember. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, they were remembering. God, we remember the rock. We we remember Moses striking the rock. That's why we sing, on Christ the solid rock. It was just simple imagery of water, rocks, whatever that the Hebrews gravitated toward. God, we remember you've been good to us. And throughout, Ian, the pages of Scripture, even Psalm 78, we read things like, he split the rocks in the desert. He gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of the rock. He made water flow like the rivers. God, you provided. So many people in the world don't even have water. 
So many people are dying today because of parasitic, bacterial-infested water. God, we've got water. Praise the Lord. Thank you for water. And the people of Israel, and even David in some of his psalms as he lived in these dry, parched land, God, you provide. God, you're good. And it was a sign of promise, but it was also a sign of provision. It was a sign of promise of what was about to come. And Isaiah pens, where he says in the prophetic thing, before he gets to Isaiah 53, where he's talking about he had no stately form or majesty that we should be drawn to him. And like a lamb led before the shears, he opened not his mouth. Isaiah was prophesying about the soon coming Messiah. But in chapter 44, Julie, he cries out, God, you're going to pour water on the thirsty land, and you're going to pour streams on the dry land. And God, you're going to pour out your spirit as an offering and a blessing. And God is saying, yes, I'm going to pour out my spirit one day. Zechariah said, chapter 13 and 14, on that big day, a fountain will be opened for us, for the family of David and all the leaders of Israel. And a fountain's going to be open one day for the washing away of their sins. And on that day, living water will flow from Jerusalem. Prophetic. This is John 7. This is what's happening in Israel. This is what's happening in Jerusalem. And Jesus has made his way on back down to Jerusalem. Now, during the water ceremony, the people would get together. They would enter into the temple. They would bring palm branches. They would bring, this is the harvest time of the year when the Feast of Tabernacles was taking place. And this is the last great harvest. And they would bring in fruit of the vine of what God had provided. And they would come, and the priest would go out to the pool of Siloam, and he would get this purified water in their mind, and he would fill up a pitcher, and he would bring it in. And every day, for these six, first six days, he would pour water on the altar, saying, God, you've provided, but we offer back to you what you've provided. And the people would be swinging and, and waving their palm branches and they would be shouting psalms of joy to the Lord. And they would sing, send water on us, send us rain, set us free, save us, O oh God. You're good. You provide. Send us water. And every day, he would pour that water out. And the priest would say, quoting Isaiah chapter 12, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Oh, God, with joy you draw well, a water for us from the wells of salvation. Now, stop. We are in Jerusalem. We're at the feast. The people of Israel are celebrating. The brothers have mocked him. They've ridiculed him. The Jews are looking for a reason to kill him. And then in John 7, 14, we read this. About midway through the feast, Jesus about midway through the feast, Jesus went into the temple, and he began to teach. And people were saying, how is he so learned? How is he so smart? He doesn't have any training. He, 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 he hasn't gone through the Judaistic system. He has not been mentored by any of our rabbis. He's not leaning toward being a member of the Sanhedrin. 
He, he's not even educated. How is he so brilliant? And some of the people were amazed, and some were starting to believe in him, and others were just absolutely furious, mad, resentment. has set in. We want to kill him. Verse 30, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus is teaching. A few more days passed. Then we pick it up in verse 37. On the last day, which is the great day of the festival. We've been here in Jerusalem for a week. People have been celebrating, God, you're faithful. God, you provide. God, you've taken care of us. God, we remember. We remember. And on that last day, the people would gather, and the priests would go back down to the pool, and the people would walk around the altar seven times. Seven is the number of completion. And they would walk around the altar, and they would walk around the altar, and the priest would take that jug filled with water, and Nick, he would take that water over to the altar while the people are walking, and they're waving their palm branches, and he would pour the water on the altar, and he would shout out, Hoshiana, Hoshiana, save us now, save us now, save us now. And they would quote Psalm 118, which reads, and this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And while they were singing, oh God, this is your day. We want to rejoice. They would start to cry out. Save us, we pray. Save us, we pray. Hoshiana, Hoshiana. And then the next verse says, they would sing out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And most scholars believe it was at this pivotal moment. Hoshiana, save us, save us, save us, that Jesus stands in the middle of the temple. And he cries out. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. I've got good news for you. Your prayer has been answered. I am the answer of your prayer. I am who Isaiah prophesied about. I am living water. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is tired and let down by the world of religious systems, Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. And guys, I'm reading this on the plane last Sunday as I flew to Arizona. And I promise you, I start rejoicing in the Lord. And I'm like, man, I want to jump up and run up and down this aisle and scream, Hosanna! Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. Living water is available. Come to the well of salvation and drink. Who did he say? Who, who, who did he say? If anyone, Gentiles, Jews, burned out on religion, strung out in addiction, Your soul's empty. 
you're parched. You don't care anymore. You just live a life of apathy. Just going through the motions. Come to me and drink. I am so thankful. I've read John many times. I've never studied the Feast of Tabernacles in detail and studied when he said his what and where he said it at. God, we, 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 we've been here remembering that you, you, you're faithful. We've been celebrating and remembering that you're good. Jesus goes, I'm the promise of what Zechariah and what Isaiah and what all the other prophets wrote. You're looking for salvation. You're looking for answers. You're looking for healing. You're looking for hope. Come to me and drink. Don't go to materialism. Don't go to a relationship on the horizontal. Don't try to empower your kids to get your needs met. Don't look at your job. Come and drink from the waters that Jesus offers. Now listen to what he says. Whoever, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. He spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were, were, they were going to receive. But the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. I'm going to pour out living water. I'm sending forth the Holy Spirit. Jesus becoming the atoning sacrifice on Calvary's tree. All of the world's sin he carries. He's being brutally annihilated and beaten while he hangs even on the cross. Blood is pouring. And then Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cries out, it is finished. It is finished. Everything that the Father has required for lost man. Everything the Father has required for a lost man to be reconciled back to the Father, it is finished. I have accomplished the work and glorified you, Father, to what you sent me to do. Then he bowed his head and he gave up the Spirit. I'm sending living water. And the Holy Spirit is living water inside of us. It quenches us in our souls. It totally, when the Holy Spirit has freedom to flow, he goes, it will be living water flowing within you. And I invite you today, Tim, I don't even know the Lord. I've never repented of my sin. I've never placed my faith and confidence in Christ. I've never come to the living water to drink and to be satisfied. Then come today. And drink. Let this be a visual saying, I 
am desperate for living water. So many people in the Bible Belt, a bondage belt, they've walked aisles, they even have jumped through a few religious hoops, but they haven't had an awakening inside their life because they've never tasted living water. They've tasted religious water. They've tasted denominational water. But when Jesus says, come to me, And drink. And Rick, one of the things that we have to do as a believer, some of us sitting here going, I've come, I've drank living water. But then we have to ask the question Is living water free to flow through me? What have I got going on in my life right now that I've allowed to block the flow? of living water. Is it attitude? Is it anger? Is it apathy? You'll hear today, later, Dustin will talk about our partnership with Pregnancy Resource Center and how we're committed to seeing life, that newborn. We're committed to seeing babies born. We're committed to everything we can to help provide. Some people sit here today with so much guilt and shame. I had an abortion. I killed a life, Tim. God can't forgive me. Yes, he already has. Hoshiana is here to save you today. Hoshiana loves you today. Yes, I know there's consequences to everything we've done apart from the will of God. But Rick, we have to stop and go, am I doing anything that blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit? Am I doing anything that blocks the flow of living water being able to manifest, Tim? Guys, wherever we're at, we should be a well that other people can draw from. We are called to be salt and light. We're called to sanctify Christ as Lord in our lives. And every morning as we're on our face in the word drinking, then we go out into the world and the overflow leaking out of us, Andrew, should be living water. <sighs> You've got something I don't have. What do you have? Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus stood on the last and great day at the Feast of Tabernacles and declared he was living water. I came to Jesus. I've tasted living water. And I am pressed in and receiving living water every day of my life. Wherever I am, I am a vessel that living water is existing in. I will give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's power and presence inside of you. Let me wrap it with this. When you study even through the Gospel of John, I want to pour out my spirit. On the day of Pentecost, he poured out his spirit. He told his disciples, go back, stay in that upper room. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll receive living water. And as a result of receiving living water, you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, throughout the region of Judea, Samaria, Galilee, even to the remotest parts of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. You have received. You will now go give living water. Holy Spirit's coming. Holy Spirit's going to fill you. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, based on John 16, 
The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit's going to bring conviction. I can tell you this. I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. I am so thankful that back in October of 1985, the Holy Spirit crushed me, showing me, convicting me. You are a sinner alienated and separated from God. I would have never come to faith in Christ without the work of living water and the Holy Spirit convicting me. He goes on to say when the Holy Spirit comes in John 14, he will be your helper. The word helper there, I will send another a helper, a comforter. The word is parakletos. It literally means the legal counsel of God is going to take up residence within you. He's going to lead you. He's going to be your advocate. He's going to point you in ways. Listen to him. He's our intercessor. Even Paul would say, the Spirit makes intercession with moans that we don't even comprehend. Living water, when it exists inside of you, when you're not quenching living water. Watch what God does. Naked in the middle of the night, throughout the day, watch living water flow. Wherever you're at, the Holy Spirit, I got you. I'm going to teach. I'm going to correct. I'm your power. I'm what gives you grace. It's the Holy Spirit. I was in Arizona. My buddy Mike, I was hanging out with him the other day. And all of a sudden he gets a text that this former guy that was a chaplain in Kansas City, godly brother, he gets a text from his son. He's at the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona. He's like, Dad, we're removing all drugs, everything from him. We're going to take him home tomorrow morning. He doesn't want to die here. I said, oh. Mike goes, I got to go see him right now. I got to go. Mike, let's pray. And we were able to stop and pray. Tikkun olam, the Hebrew phrase. Hey, the practice of your presence is what's going to bring healing to the world. Go tikkun olam, brother. Go tikkun olam. He comes back in the next day. He goes, he's dropped 120 pounds. Cancer has annihilated our buddy Mike Lasardi. He goes, but man, he said, it might be the most precious hour I've ever spent in my life. As soon as he got it, Timmy, let's pray. Living water allows us to pray 24-7 no matter where we're at. You can be on a ball field. You can be in a jail cell. You can be in a church. You can be in your car. You can be at the heightened point of a crisis in your life and living water saying, pray, seek God, repent, let's get it right. Here's the invitation, closing. I would encourage you today, really threefold, okay? I would encourage you. You're sitting here and you're like, I do not have a relationship with Christ. I've never repented and surrendered. There will be a team of us here. Myself, Dustin, Ronnie, Steve, our staff guys, we will be here, our prayer team. And you go, I want to pray today. I want to pray to surrender. We would love to lead you and be able to pray with you as you surrender to Christ. For some of you, you would say, Tim, I have become a stagnant pond. The Holy Spirit can't flow in me. I'm arrogant. I'm egotistical. I'm prideful. Or I've got some sin in my life that I'm willing to. I have been willing to pacify it, but I, I've, I've got to crucify it today. 
I need prayer time. You can grab you a bottle of water. And you can fall on your face at the foot of the cross. Listen to me. Laying at the foot of the cross. Jesus, please, I've got to have your living water flowing in and through me. I've pacified and tolerated sin for too long. Today, I'm breaking the chain. I want living water to flow. So whatever it might be, I invite you, spend some time in prayer on your face before God. You go, I don't even know how to pray. Then ask one of us as we stand here, would you please intercede with me? I'm off the rails. For some of you, I invite you. We have communion every week for a reason. The power of remembering. And Jesus said on that last night as he hung with his disciples and as he broke bread with those guys, he said, guys, as often as you meet, do this in remembrance of me. We have communion to my left and to my right, and it might be powerful for you today. I encourage every person who is a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, to do communion today. It will be powerful. Father, I receive this wafer as a reminder of the body of Christ. Jesus, thank you that you carried my sin, my filth, my shame. Lord, thank you that all past, present, and future sins of mine have been nailed to the cross. Hallelujah, I remember. You may want to itemize some stuff that you're thankful for today. And then you open it up and Jesus said, this right here is symbolic of the new covenant. My blood that will be poured out for you. Where his body, Mark, carried the sin debt once and for all. His blood cleansed us forever. Hallelujah. Father, I remember the blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission and forgiveness of sin. Today, I invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever he desires to do in your life according to where you're at. Salvation for some, come and drink. Repentance and dealing with sin thoroughly, come and drink. Tim, I'm so thankful for what God's done in my life. Spend some time at the communion table. Fall on your face, fall before the Lord and give thanks. If anyone is thirsty, come to Yeshua HaMashiach and drink. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we wanna see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. And we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.